Hello, listeners. This is producer John. Open Pike Night is going to be at Trek Long Island 2024. From May 31st to June 2nd, Cameron and myself, producer John, will be in the Big Apple living long and prospering. We'll be hosting a panel. We'll be giving out stickers. We will have our microphones. Be sure to follow Open Pike on social media and subscribe to openpike.substack.com because we also will be giving away some Trek Long Island weekend passes. Trek Long Island is May 31st to June 2nd at the Hyatt Regency in Hopog, New York. This is Bernadette Croft, a.k.a. Bernadette Peters, and you're listening to Open Pike Night. At least they sound like they were well-dressed. Is this thing on? Hello, hello. Welcome to Open Pike Night, the strange new world's podcast where your personal logs are the prime directive. I'm your host, John T. Bolds, here tonight with some amazing guests on stage and in the studio to discuss the styles and fashions of strange new worlds with a woman who's the only answer when you ask someone on set, who are you wearing? With me tonight are my co-hosts, the man who has been found guilty on no less than 17 counts in his life of cutting paper with a pair of Fiskars, host of Sudden But Inevitable, Jesse. Are you not supposed to cut paper with Fiskars? I'm I'm unaware of that. No, it's but, okay to do it if there's a piece of fabric tied around the handle. That, that's definitely, okay. those well, are the ones you use. Yeah, yeah. Be sure to follow us on Threads at Open Pike. <laughs> and the man who will make a costume for any party as readily as our guest tonight, Will, for Star Trek, host of Green Shirt and Newbie Trek through TNG, Cameron. I am a firm believer that there are two types of parties, costume parties and duds. <laughs> this is true. Your shredder was an outstanding costume. That's still, I've got some, I found some pictures of it the other day. So if you've been listening to open pike night for a while, we can't pull the wool over your eyes. Sometimes it may seem like a stretch that we knit together so many great interviews and episodes, but here we are again. Our heads are bobbing with excitement and we're getting wound up to discuss the costumes of strange new worlds in our first off season interview as is our pattern. And it would seem allowance of time has given us this opportunity. If our voices are croaky, it will be from the exclamations of delight of the amazing costumes of strange new worlds. And as usual, I have tailor made this intro to be spoken aloud. Hopefully I was able to thread the needle of comedy once again. Welcome to costume designer Bernadette Croft. Thank you for joining us here on Open Pike Night. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. You guys are killing it. I love your show. Thank you. Thank you. People have been asking us to get you on and we have wanted to get you on for so mm -hmm. long. I mean, from the pilot episode, the costumes were just outstanding and people sat up and noticed. Oh, um, thank you so much. Yeah. yeah, that's wonderful. And I have to um, pay tribute to Gosha Phillips who helped design the first episode as well. Yeah, it was a team effort for sure. Excellent. Excellent. Oh. Um, we are a call-in podcast, and we like to hear from our listeners. Uh, here, we're going to start off with an early one uh, from some familiar voices. Uh, she's brilliant. 
She's uh, incredibly talented. Uh, she's incredibly hardworking. Uh, we're very lucky to have her. Um, oh. I mean, she's, you know, there there are a lot of geniuses that we have to work with in order to make the show work. And she's one of them. And like the show looks great because the people look great because of her and her team. Oh my God. Bernadette is, is brilliant, but she fakes <laughs> an Australian accent. <laughs> that when she's on your show and you gotta not let her just don't let you gotta stop her, you know, like you gotta not let her. Cause if you stop her at first, then she won't, but it, you can't let her go on with it. Um, <laughs> All oh, right. Thanks, mate. <laughs> oh, that's very nice. That was, of course, Henry Alonzo Myers and Akiva Goldsman, the showrunners of Strange New Worlds, who talked with us last uh, last episode of, with their retrospective. But we're done with them. We're here with uh, absolutely <laughs> the most important person in the room, Bernadette. Cam, you want to get us started? Well, yeah. Let's let's uh, go back to the beginning, like we do with all our interviews, and find out like. How did you get the costuming bug? When did when did costumes become important to you? I guess I think I was born with it. Honestly, I from a young age had a very vivid imagination. I loved storytelling and and playing and had a great dress up box. And my sister and I uh-huh. would, um, you know, put on concerts for my family. Would make them buy tickets to the show. Would make them buy the program. Would make them buy popcorn and. <laughs> We had the audacity to make them, you know, give us donations in the intermission. So I was like bound for show business. I just kind of loved all of that. And my favorite thing to do was, yeah, watch behind the scenes featurettes on um, how movies were made, how costumes were made, props, sets, everything. And um, yeah, had had just so much fun watching those big films like The Sound of Music, The King and I. I loved um, The Princess Bride and um, The Labyrinth. They were my fantasy favorites. Ah. And yeah, then later on, like Bram Stoker's Dracula, like what an incredible Mm. film. Those costumes are iconic. And I think like just seeing, you know, all of that art is just like, that's something I want to be involved in. And yeah, it it worked out, which is is lovely. Excellent. So was it mostly... Fantasy costumes that inspired you as you were growing up, or were there other types too? Yeah, I mean, I I definitely gravitate towards fantasy and sci-fi, but there is an art to, um, you know, contemporary and realism. And throughout my career, I've worked on all kinds of different shows. One was called Cardinal. It was it was um, made up north in Canada, and we had to dress everyone you know, in very rugged, um, worn down looks. And I think there's an art to making things look um, believable. It kind of grounds the story and and you kind of believe that what you're seeing on on camera is real. So, yeah, I I guess I'm drawn to it all, but mostly sci-fi and and fantasy. Uh, As you were you know, going to school for that and, and, you know, your, your love of costuming was, was blooming into a career. Like, was there a moment that it felt like the door opened for you? Like this was the threshold you were walking over into being a professional? Yeah. I mean, I always loved, um, kind of doing work experience, like part of my university, um, course, we we had to go and do some work experience in the field. But, um, after the, um, course was over, I I flew myself to New Zealand without a job and knowing that the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe was being made over there. And I lived in a a youth hostel and 
and started like calling every department on that film until someone gave me a job. And it was just that persistence. And if anyone wants to get into film and TV, you just got to be a bit annoying. So yeah, I, I just called everyone. I ended up um, getting into props and then props painting. Um, but that was a threshold, I think. It was just like, this is like one of my childhood fantasies. I loved these books, um, The Chronicles mm-hmm. of Narnia. And being able to paint the props for some of, you know, the the film sets, like Aslan's army, so the weapons and the different set pieces um, in his campsite, making things look really old and broken down or making a hunk of foam look like a, a rock that's covered in moss. So it was, um, it was there, it was just like, oh yeah, this is, this is a career. Like I, I never want to stop being in this kind of um, environment. And I remember like Tilda Swinton who played the Ice Queen she would often be um, driven around in like this carriage specially made for her because her dress was so big and it was just this like, it was sculpture. It was like a piece of art and she couldn't sit down. And so she was like a kind of like a horse carriage, I guess. And she just held on and they took her from studio to studio. And I I just remember (laughs) seeing that thinking, that's where I want to be. I want to be like creating (laughs) stuff like that. It's, It's pretty cool. I want That's to make cool. actors' lives uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sorry about it. But, but look beautiful. amazing while they... Yeah. 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 You're going to look great, but you cannot pee. So, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So That's some power. With, with, I mean, there's an important question that comes from that with Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. Have you had Turkish Delight, and is it disgusting? Oh, I, I, I don't like it. No, oh, okay. I, I think that I haven't, I haven't had it. Um. I know my dad loves it, but no, I, I, I'm not drawn to it myself. It <laughs> not looks an a Edmund. bit googly. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Um, as far as costume design goes, who, who were your, besides what you saw on TV, have there been any inspirational designers that you have wanted to work with or emulate or collaborate with uh, oh, at some point? Yeah. Totally. There's so many out there and they're um, so inspirational, like Ruth Carter, who did Black Panther. She's incredible. And she got to collaborate with, you know, Iris Van Herpen, who's such an amazing um, fashion icon. Um, Gersha Phillips, obviously, I've been able to do that. Catherine Martin, she's an Australian designer who recently did Elvis. And I did assist um, the background department on um, uh, The Great Gatsby, like years and years ago. So. I I could see her working and the way she was able to um, not only run a costume department, but she did she did the production design as well. And I just thought mm-hmm. that was so incredible. And the key there was the team. Like she always had great people around her that could rally. And, you know, I really learned a lot um, from just observing her. Um, but, yeah, there's Sandy Powell, um, Kate Hawley. My God, she's from New Zealand and she's um, – incredible she did crimson peak those were really iconic Mm. costumes and yeah very inspirational to me excellent well yeah speaking of the great gatsby and like surrounding yourself with a great team i was wondering and i don't know if you'd be able to speak to this but like boz lerman's films are so known for their production design and their costumes especially like does that come from him does he drive a lot of that or does he surround himself with brilliant people and say do what you do best I think he's a driving force for yeah. sure. Um, and I think he's the type of personality that um, his creative drive is really infectious. So you can't help but 
do mm. your best work around someone like that. And Catherine Martin is his partner and always elevates the design and always wants to make sure Baz's vision is shown. So yeah, it's, it's wonderful observing these big name directors and how they run a set and yeah, how they get everyone just so excited to be working in film. It's really cool. Oh, with them, with like Boz Lerman or with like Tom Ford and Nocturnal Animals, what would a Bernadette oh. Croft movie look like? What oh, would a, if you got to run a whole movie, what would we see? Oh God. Oh God. A sci-fi fantasy for sure. I was maybe, so this is something that could actually happen. I don't know. So my favorite show is RuPaul's Drag Race and yeah. it's currently seen on Paramount Plus. And I'm just mm. thinking, you know, as a sister show, perhaps a little crossover with Strange New Worlds could happen and we could see a little, you know, I don't know, makeover montages. It could be really cool. I think drag queens are incredible. They save lives. They're amazing. And just the art of their transformation. I don't know. Uh, I, think, I think it could be really exciting. I like that. People have asked, like, how do you top season two? I, I right. think that could do it. Yeah. It yeah. We are going to add that to our list. We have a pike cooking show. We have, okay, yeah. we have a, a few ideas of like, hey, we can do spinoff shows here, guys. Like <laughs> Exactly. And you know, Rebecca Romain, she, she may even have RuPaul's number because she was a guest judge ah. um, in season seven for the Hello Kitty episode. Very iconic. Uh, Violet Chachki one. I'm seeing a Violet Chachki show this week, actually. Um, so the, there's a connection. They're, they, they're friends. So I feel like we can, we can get this off the ground. <laughs> That'd be great. So with that, what would your dream project be then if, if money, if budget was no barrier, effort was no barrier? Oh, uh, yeah, something surreal. Like just thinking of Bram Stoker's Dracula and, mm -hmm. you know, that was like those costumes were the set. I, I, I actually believe that the production designer was fired and all the money was given to costumes. So that's like <laughs> why they're so epic and ah. they're, they're so haunting and beautiful. Um, Iko Ishioka, who's the costume designer, did such an incredible job and I think something like that where it's <laughs> all about the costumes but like on oh, the story as well obviously sure. but um something epic and surreal unusual yeah arty that would be really yeah. that would be really cool I'm having flashbacks to the cell yeah I was just that, thinking oh, the go. cell there you go. yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, well, I've got to ask my Lord of the Rings question here. Then I've, I saw that you had said you would love to work on the Lord of the Rings. If you could design for one character, or maybe race in Lord of the Rings, who, who would you want to design for? Uh, I love Lord of the Rings. It's so awesome. And I know Kate Hawley, she's doing the Rings of Power. She's doing mm. an incredible job. I love, mm -hmm. love, love her work. But if there was another spinoff, maybe Aragorn, I just love how dark and moody he is and all those layers and the breakdown and yeah i i just feel like that could be um a really interesting show to watch yeah so you wouldn't dress him up as anson mountain elysian kingdom <laughs> no <laughs> no, I, okay. no that's a totally different character no he's he's just like he's such a lone wolf right yeah i think he's um maybe perhaps a bit more brave as well <laughs> same hairstyle though right Oh, potentially. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you could play around with that. We do love to ask about Elysian Kingdom, but I know you've talked about it a lot. I mean, I, I feel like anything anyone wants to know about that is out there in interviews. Uh, 
So let me take a stab. I don't know if this one's been asked. Was Runa the first four-legged actor you've designed for? Yeah, Runa. We love Runa. It was so joyful to be able to dress Runa and such a great idea that Chrissy had to bring on the show. I think it was a makeup artist who told Chrissy and then Chrissy was like, yeah, let's just ask and do it. But yeah, Runa was awesome. We hope she comes back next season, season yeah. three. Maybe as a, <laughs> she can dress up as a baby gone or something. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> cute. Was it Was it fun designing for her? For her. Yeah, absolutely. So her dress was more of a like a hybrid. It was like a princess gown cape. It was mm-hmm. kind of like a, a harness and the cape just flowed off her body. But yeah, taking her measurements was interesting. It's just like, this is this Runa's bust or her chest or like what do you say? <laughs> what is what is appropriate here's waist? Like, yeah, but no, it was really fun. I hope I hope I get to do it again sometime. You know, it's it's really cool. So you've spoken elsewhere about how you hadn't seen Star Trek before you got hired on to Discovery, and now you are a fan. Is there something that surprised you the most about Star Trek when you started watching it? I guess it's the fact that Star Trek is, you know, um, it's a positive show. It always wants to give you hope for the future. I, I thought it was all about space talk, and I think that's what, what kind of like, I didn't watch it to begin with because I just thought I wouldn't understand. I couldn't relate. But there's so much to relate to. You know, everyone on Starfleet, they want to be good at their job. They, they're really good at uh, diversity is like really important. And the differences in, in people is, is something that's special. So, yeah, I was just like impressed and happy to like see myself there. Just like, yeah, it's just people who want to do good, you know. So, yeah, I guess that would be it. That's a lot like a film set in that way. Everyone being good at their job. Yeah, it's funny, like speaking about that, like um, we all want to do the best in our job, obviously, and we're not working at the moment. And, you know, there's a very quiet time, but I guess the silver lining has been um, being able to watch season two in its entirety with like, I guess, the rest of the world and just seeing how they um, how they consume it and, and what they're really drawn to and like what is their favorite episode. And I, I love being able to see the departments that I'm not, you know, really closely involved with, like Nami, her score, like, mm-hmm. he, like the music, Jay-Z's cool visual effects and just the different elements that we're all like working so hard and all comes together. And the acting, obviously, like, I go to set quite quickly and I establish a costume when it's first seen in like for the first time. And then there's a team on set that maintains the costume and makes sure it's the same for every take, um, make sure that the act is comfortable. But um, seeing the acting and the subtlety and how good they, they are all at, at their job and like how amazing they're at portraying their characters and what they bring and the depth, how beautiful they are. Oh, my God, they're all so gorgeous. So, yeah, it's been nice to kind of um, see everyone's good work in this in this time off. Uh, well, speaking of the actors, and, and what is it like to dress just one of the most attractive casts you know, <laughs> yeah. the TV and movies have seen since 1999's The Mummy? Right. Um, but, you know, uh, I mean, I don't know. Do you have an answer to that? <laughs> well, I mean, uh, they're good people as well. So, they, sure. you know, they're they got a lot of good qualities about them, but, um, you know, they, they are so beautiful and captivating and um, would look so good in 
so many like different genres. Like we're always thinking, what can we do next season? Like how can we outdo season two? And I know genre has been thrown around a lot, Um, you know, film noir or the West End, 1920s, like, you know, speakeasy. But I'm thinking mermaids, like I'm thinking (laughs) underwater Ah, like, yes. Our cast would be so gorgeous as mermaids. <laughs> if, if you, like, Admiral April as a merking with a yeah. George Trident, I feel oh. like that would be very captivating. So, like, there's just like lots of amazing opportunity there. Yeah. That is stuck in my head. That's <laughs> yeah. add that to the list, producer John. <laughs> <laughs> we can't put that out in the world. The people will stop listening right now and go start writing their fan fiction. <laughs> I mean, maybe fan fiction is better because that would be so expensive. Like, oh my god, that would that would be yeah, blowing the budget for sure. Perhaps it needs to be a film. Ooh, there we go. Yeah. Well, uh, well, speaking of the actors, you know, I- I've often heard actors say when I watch behind the scenes stuff, like like you did. Um, they always say like they found their character when they put the costume on. Like so many people say they didn't really know who the character was until they put those clothes on. Is that a moment you've seen on actors faces when you put them in their costumes? And like, what's it like to be there for that moment? If you have. Oh, it is such an honor to be a part of that collaboration because it is just a wonderful experience. Um, Often we get the script before the actors and we have to start work. We have to start putting mood boards together and, thinking about character, where they've been, how can we show who they are um, by what they're wearing. So, yeah, that's a really cool thing to be a part of. Like even the shoes they wear might make them stand a certain way, make them walk a certain way, the cadence, you know, how they walk. But even just the Starfleet uniform, like I'm honestly, it's just wonderful when we have like day players come in as crew members and they might just be on set for a day or two or maybe a couple of episodes but you know they put on the Starfleet uniform and you can just tell they're so excited or they're giddy or they say things like this is so surreal because you know it means so much to them because you know it it like when you put on the Starfleet uniform you're representing such a an, an iconic show and and all it stands for so yeah, it's it's wonderful to see their reaction. We've had people cry out of happiness, yeah, mind you. Sure. <laughs> um, and just like, yeah, notes of appreciation, um, that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's like why we do it. It's just like, man, this is a cool job. What the heck? <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, we're going to get to our next caller here. Um, here is Michelle returning to the Open Pike Night stage. Hey, Open Pike Night, and welcome to Bernadette Croft. I really adore the costuming on Strange New Worlds. I know you've worked in many different genres. I'm wondering what has been the biggest challenge with working in the Trek franchise? Because I do love the way that Strange New Worlds pays homage to the original series, but also kind of gives it that modern flair. And the colors really pop, but it's very sleek. You have the little deltas in there. The attention to detail is marvelous. And we notice costuming is very important to this fandom, especially to cosplayers. 
Uh, and I'm wondering also how much lead time you have. Because this season, for example, there were a lot of uh, militaristic gear and uh, just just the darker colors and different types of uniforms. And I'm wondering how long you have to put that all together because it came out wonderfully, but it probably was a bit of a scramble. I don't know. <laughs> but I'd be interested to know how long you have. And finally, I usually make a Crusher connection here on Open Pike Night because I do love Dr. Beverly Crusher, who was very fashion forward in her own way, particularly with the lab coat. So I'm wondering... What's your opinion about lab coats and sick bay? <laughs> uh, yay or nay? Until next time, everybody, live long and prosper. Uh, awesome. Thank you for that question. That's amazing. And um, yay for, for lab coats. Obviously, they're awesome. Um, Gersha and I did do a lab coat as an option when we first um, designed the Starfleet uniforms, but it wasn't picked up. So. Yeah, we we did have it as an option, but um, it was deemed not necessary for for this show. But you never know; there could be um, a certain character that comes on that we need a lab coat for. Uh, so, so we'll keep it in our back pocket. Um, in terms of the biggest challenge, I think originally the biggest challenge was like trying not to be overwhelmed by the enormity of the franchise and you know how Star Trek means so much to people. Um, it is a cultural touchstone and. I came to it from respect and I do feel confident that I can bring something, our team can bring something and that, yes, we are pushing it forward with with respect but also, um, you know, adding production value, adding the detail that our beloved Trekkies um, pick up on. So it's really cool and I think that's also the best part of it as well. Like, you know, keeping that like air of nostalgia but um, – with today's technologies and fabrics and um, even our skill set, we're just kind of um, yeah, pushing it forward always. What about the, the timeline? What, how much time do you have? From- oh, the timeline, yes. Um, we get two weeks of pre-production and then it's around two weeks to film and then we wrap. And so we're always kind of like on you know prep for one episode. We're filming an episode at the same time and wrapping as well. So there's a lot going on. I will say we do get a, a kind of a general outline of this season ahead of time. So I can kind of forecast when we're going to need a lot of labor or if one episode is going to be more expensive than the other just because of the characters involved or how many background performers there are. But um, yeah, generally it's about two weeks. So it is a bit of a scramble always, but we love getting the heads up from our writers and showrunners about certain things so we can start early. And that happened um, for the Elysian Kingdom, obviously. Mm. Um, And a few episodes in season two, uh, we knew they were coming so we could get prepared. What's it like seeing cosplays of designs that you've made? Oh, it's so wonderful. It's very humbling, actually. Um, You know, people who do cosplay, they go to so much effort and they're usually using materials around the home and they're so um yeah they they spend so much time like I've got a 3D printer but they're just like hand making things and hand painting the the micro print on the Starfleet uniforms and stuff. It's just incredible. Like I I I yeah we we're just thrilled when we get messages from people who who have dressed up at different 
conventions and comic cons throughout the world. It's it's awesome to see. And I, I think it helps the people too. Like they they become more confident, like they can be a character themselves. I think that's why people love doing cosplay. Um, yeah, you can just kind of, yeah, be a different uh, person for a little bit. Yeah, and you mentioned a 3D printer. Um, how has that and additive manufacturing and just desktop manufacturing, how has it, how much of that do you use in, in day-to-day costuming? Yeah, the 3D printing element for costuming has really changed the game. It's been around for a while, but because we're moving so fast on these episodes and we want to infuse as much detail as possible, like it could be a belt buckle or a rank insignia or a special decal or just like um, an embellishment, like a decorative piece that will really enhance the costume. So in uh, charades, when Pring has her gown and, and those kind of shoulder pieces, those cages that mm-hmm. were painted in gold, they were 3D printed. And, um, you know, to sculpt something like that would take a long, long time. So it, depending on the moment, I do think um, sculpting and the human hand have such a beautiful element. But when we're like, you know, working against the clock, we have to use the 3D printer. And Jen Bowen, who's our digital artist, is so incredible at her job and has made so many beautiful things for us and has really helped elevate a lot of our costumes. And I think the digital costumer position is such um, a, a, like a, you know, a growing um, necessity in our industry. And yeah, she's got a, a background in architecture, but yeah, it's it's such an impressive thing to see her. Like I'll just say, you know, describe what I want to do a quick sketch and she can digitize it and then print it overnight. And then it's a real, you know, tangible thing. It's, it's amazing. Very cool. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I mean, I was wondering, is that there's a difference between like the, the side character costumes from say TNG to like strange new worlds or just TV shows in general. Now is that, is that because of technology or bigger budgets or just more emphasis on the costumes? Like what, what is that transition due to? I think people are just um, in terms of production value, they, they expect more. Mm. And, um, and I, I guess for our, ourselves, we want to keep improving. Uh, I know for, from each season to season, as I know what our team can do and, and they're like special talents. I, I feel more ambitious. Like I feel like I can um, show producers certain options that, um, you know, before maybe I would be a little bit hesitant in showing because I'm like, oh, can we actually produce this? Mm. But now I'm like, yeah, we, we can produce this and we've got the, the talent and the means to do it. But yeah, I think budget has a, has a, a lot to do with that um, as well. But, you know, you just learn from the past. I mean, we've come so far from from the original series to now. So, yeah, it's a bit of a combination of a few things. Can you speak to the balance of aesthetic versus functionality with these costumes? I mean, especially the ones that see, like, action sequences. Yeah, it is so important to understand the physicality of what the actor is doing in a scene. So we work closely with Neil our stunt um, uh, director, stunt director? Coordinator. Coordinator, thank you. <laughs> oh, my God, my brain is mush. It's been so long. 
But yeah, Neil will tell us, um, you know, what the actor is doing in a scene. Quite often they need more movement in the arm's eye. So we put in a gusset, which is just essentially more fabric in there in that area so they can move their arms. A lot of the time it's it's their back as well. So in episode one, The Broken Circle, Babs did a lot of fighting and he needed a stretch panel inserted in the back of that jacket for that movement. And it's just so essential. We don't want to like restrict the actors. We want them to be able to safely do all of their action to perform however they want to perform. We don't want things flying off into their faces. We have to make sure things are like really anchored down, um, that kind of thing. So yeah, uh, making sure the costume looks good, but is also um, safe is, is really important. But even in other areas like uh, the musical episode, like that was a little bit of engineering there too. We had to make everyone a dance top. Mm-hmm. So that meant that, again, there was a bit more room in the arms eye so they could, you know, put their hands over their heads, do their high kicks, their high fives, and, and their tops wouldn't ride up. And we also had a piece of elastic um, underneath their top that connected to their pants so it would anchor down. So when they did all their movement, you know, everything still looked really neat and tidy and professional. So, Are you saying Starfleet did yeah. not expect their crew to be dancing when they <laughs> no, designed the tops? Dear listener, I'll tell you, I did offer up our wonderful showrunners that um, our team should be wearing sparkly uniforms, but um, <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't say yes. So I know. <sighs> I know. Missed opportunity, I tell you. The Bernadette you. Croft cut. I want it. <laughs> yeah. We got to get Henry and Akiva back now because we've got some <laughs> no, bones to pick. all those nice things they said. No. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Henry, but I have some notes. Yeah, See, they notes were nice are. to you, but they were really mean to us, so it's okay. Yeah. We don't pay <laughs> <you on. laughs> All right. Well, oh, we have man. another great caller returning. Here is Tess. Bernadette fucking Croft. Oh, my God. I have been dying for you to be on this podcast. You serve cunt. You slay all the time. Your outfits are fantastic. The costuming is incredible. Constantly blown away by your work. The way that you can use puff paint to make this fantastic looking, edgy, alien leather so fucking cool. Oh my god. Um, I could sing your praise for hours. I love the costuming in Strange New Worlds. I love the costuming you did for Discovery. I love the costuming that you did for code eight everything you do is incredible i wanted to know though what it is like to have to find this balance between making costumes feel comfortable for an audience to look at and familiar and also be futuristic and sci-fi and more than that i wanted to know if you'd ever want to do something that's a little bit more retrofuturism, a little bit more like we saw in TOS because I want to see a slutty little jumpsuit. I I want to see some weird cutouts and fabric choices. Um I love your work. My name is Tessa. I'm STEM Femme Cosplay on Instagram. I love you. Bye. I think that might have been a fan. Whoa, Tessa. That was incredible. I feel like Tessa would like my idea about the drag queens um, and this and Strange New World like 
that collaboration. I feel like she would really enjoy that. Um, I think so. Yeah. That's, thank you very much. That's very, very lovely. All of those lovely things. Um, but the balance between costumes that feel real but futuristic, yeah, I think it's just like when we're buying costumes, we have to look at, um, you know, proportions. We, if something's asymmetrical, if the colors are a little bit weird or the lapels, um, we're always, always looking at um, different fabrics and textures, like, you know, something that looks more alien that you haven't seen before. Maybe it's um, a cool tech print or something that's embossed or a fabric that's bubbly or organic. And we also add to these fabrics and textures and clothes to, to make it a little more otherworldly or, you know, heighten it. Anna Pencheva, who's our key textile artist, is always working with unusual products and unconventional processes to just, you know, invent new ways of, of, of um, how, to, how to put texture on things. Um, we use ice dye, rust dye, marbling, um, puff paint, obviously, yes. Puff paint's awesome for so many things. It also is really good for breakdown. It adds a lot of, like, grit. Um, mm. and yeah, it's, it's, it's an, an amazing product. Um, foil, we lose, use a lot of foil, making things shiny, making things look metallic and yeah, just avoiding things like shoelaces, things that are a little bit pedestrian or everyday. We, we just always want to go a little bit, you know, think outside the box also with jewelry, make things look a little more sculptural shoes that look. Yeah, just a little more futuristic. So you're yeah. saying magnets sewn in instead of Velcro. Yeah, magnets are always great. We always have to look at like we forecast like we have to look at what is um kind of I mean I mean we're we're trying to dress people two hundred years in the future, but you know, we're looking at forecasting trends now and that's a lot of athleisure wear. So we mm. have to look at, you know, who's the brands that are at the forefront there. But also little subcultures hmm. like uh, we we Gulpcore. I don't know if you've heard of that. It's like kind of more of a outdoor recreational um, items and utilitarian clothing worn as streetwear. Hmm. So Architeric, Solomon, um, Carhartt, Mech, kind of using those um, kind of brands and and making them look kind of cool and you know fashionable. So we we use a little bit of that in Mento Mori actually for the colonists. Uh, and we didn't even know we were doing gulp core at the time. We, maybe we were ahead of the times. I don't know. But um, yeah, it's just like, it's just always fun to to see what people are doing um, in the fashion world. But always remembering that costume design is more about the character. So it doesn't always have to be so fashion-y. You mentioned the jewelry. Do you source a lot of that or is that created? Uh, especially like the Vulcan jewelry. Oh my God. Oh, yeah. Particular yeah. is just amazing. <laughs> T Pring's jewelry is so beautiful. That's pretty much exclusively by a jeweler called Michael Good, who's based in the States. Mm. Very sculptural, very divine, um, just to emulate uh, her beauty in a way. And jewelry, in terms of other characters like Ahura, we've got a local vendor Amory costumes who exclusively does Celia's earrings and we had all these great options for season three people it's going to be so great so um you know when we get back to work I can't wait for Celia to try those on because yeah every season we want her to have new earrings and just like you know Mm. 
she'll have she'll have her own collection. Well, I do have another, it's not a caller question because she just told me to ask. My wife Wait. wants to know where she can get a pair of Ahura's green earrings. I, I was hoping to find some at Star Trek Las Vegas. No one had any oh, there. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, check out Amory Costumes. She's on Instagram. Um, All right. I don't know if she's allowed to sell them, but like, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> maybe if, uh, ask real nicely. Yeah. 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 Ask politely. Yeah. A like, lot of be annoying, right? Just be like, annoying, yeah. exactly. Just a little. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Keep asking. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that was fantastic. Uh, let's hear from another caller. Here's Newman on the Open Pike Night stage. Hi, Open Pike Night. This is Newman, the space hippie from the Movies for Days podcast. Just wanting to throw heaps of praise at the fantastic work on the costumes on this show to your guest today, Bernadette Croft, and of course. Uh, her entire crew working with her. My wife, Michelle, and I watch every episode together. These are my favorite Starfleet uniforms in any Star Trek show. I particularly love the costume work on the Vulcans and Klingons in this series. Michelle would like to particularly shout out the costumes for T'Pring, as they are always immaculate. She would like to know which was the most difficult costume you worked on for this show. I am curious how much conferencing happens between your department and the makeup department while putting everything together to make sure it all fits and meshes well. I imagine there's communication, but I was wondering if maybe there's less back and forth and more figuring it out on the fly than one would assume. Forgive me if these are ignorant questions. We come from an acting background, so we only know how to lose weight after being measured, but before a costume fitting. Uh, That's the lot. Thanks again for all your work and all my love to the Open Pike Night crew. As per usual, Newman the Space Hippie out. Oh, Newman, Space Hippie. What a guy. Um, Great questions. We do work closely with hair, makeup, and prosthetics. But yeah, it is, it is a fast moving machine. So often it's like we just jump in on their meetings. If they're having meetings with the director, producers, uh, showrunners, you know, just so we're on the same page, even if it's like, for instance, episode one, the broken circle, the amount of breakdown, everyone should look really kind of like a bit, you know, rough around the edges, a bit gritty, a bit sweaty. And we want to make sure the breakdown in our costumes matches the makeup. And, mm. and the hair. So there's a lot of um, just making sure we're on the same page. But I think, yeah, we all just try and do our best. And it honestly, we're all on the same page and it does just, yeah, works out beautifully, m- mostly in the end. The most difficult costume, season two, there were a couple. I mean, the Klingons are very involved. Everything's custom. So if you think about measurements, you know, you might have two people that have the same measurements, but if they're different heights, you know, their their weight is going to be dispersed differently. So it's it's very important that everything's custom to the performer, especially when they're wearing things like armor. And Jennifer M. Johnson is our key special effects builder, and she always makes sure things are as comfortable as possible for the wearer. And this particular costume, there's a lot of engineering involved. We have to sculpt the leather to the body and make sure, you know, it looks, you know, impressive, intimidating. Alex Silberberg, our key sculptor, is doing those um, exoskeleton pieces over top. 
and he has to mold those. So that's a time consuming process as well. But yeah, it's, it's a really cool costume. It's really, it's pretty out there, the gold and the black. We love that costume. Another costume that's pretty tricky is the dress uniform. The amount of time it takes and technically for the sewers, it's quite difficult. Like those mm. narrow inlay pieces in, in the, in the jackets just require a very steady hand, very precise. We want everything to look flat, really smooth, not a lot of bulk. And so it really comes down to the skill of the, our sewers and our technicians for those looks to be pulled off and the shoulder rank, that's a, something that's 3D printed. We have to, again, everything is um, custom. We have to get these pattern pieces digitized, sent to LA. They get 3D printed with this uh, silicon ink that rises in, in heat. It's like activated by the heat. So it has like a bit of um, height to it. But yeah, that's that's another like time consuming costume. But impressive as well like yeah it was really fun to to do that update for, for the show yeah i love hearing about all this work in yeah, detail because I, I mean it comes across i remember yeah. us just watching season two and being like yeah just that costume in the background was so impressive and the details were so evocative of, of the character in the scene uh so those were the most difficult was there a costume from season two that you were just like i can't wait to sink my teeth into this oh one? yeah it's just so fun to make oh yeah the lower decks for sure lower mm, decks uh-huh. like we were <laughs> like decks. so happy that this was actually a thing and you know i love the show so i i know of it but in my mind it was like yeah red and black it's easy no big deal but like when you actually look at it it's it's not red and black it's charcoal gray my um, illustrator, Christian Cordella, was the, brought to my attention that fact. Um, the boots are, are black. They were really hard to find. We had to, like, add t- to these boots. I think we were buying out of season, so the stock was really low and it was really stressful and it was just really hard to get the, the boots. They were a big thing. Yeah, they have that little icon on the sole of the boot. We painted that in. Mm. The way Mariner wears her, her um, uniform is different to everyone else with the sleeve rolled. We wanted to make sure the proportions, you know, were, were similar. I mean, a little tiny animation is very different to a human body. So, of course, we had to, like, you know, um, make some um, considerations there. But, yeah, I illustrated t- um, Tawny with natural hair and she really appreciated that. Um, that was a really cool em- element that was different from the animation. But, yeah, meeting Tawny and Jack and seeing how great they are at their cat characters and all of their <laughs> the different options they give in each scene like i i've said this before but i really hope a blooper reel is is made because it's just it's oh. just too good for people not to enjoy that i love bloopers we will riot <laughs> if there's not a blooper reel for yeah, let's riot. <laughs> and, and those costumes those lower decks costumes were laser sharp i mean you did mm. such an amazing yeah. job oh, we got to see them we got screeners ahead of time, and so we got to see them before anybody else. We're just like, oh, my God, I cannot wait for to hear from our listeners how oh. good these look. Like, they were fantastic. Oh, and, thank you. and they all did. Like, I remember, I mean, in an episode where there is so much to talk about uh, in the translation from animated comedy to this, like, a lot of people pointed out the costumes. Oh, that's so yeah. nice. Yeah. It, yeah, it means a lot, and I know how important it is to people because there's so many fans and they want to, you know, see their favorite shows in their best light. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'd have to say Sue Furlong, our cutter, 
and our sewers for those costumes did such an amazing job. And one little thing we did, we, we put scuba on the inside of the costume, which is just, just an extra layer. It gives it a bit of buoyancy and makes it like extra smooth. And like it just had that little bit of a 2D quality. And I just thought that that was a nice kind of shout out to, um, you know, the, the animation and of course Mike McMahon signed off on the costumes and he he was happy with them he didn't want any microprint he just wanted it super smooth and flat and like I I totally get it I think it I think it was a great idea very cool so like scuba material scuba scuba like neoprene or yeah it's a type of neoprene yeah um okay. it's just a really thin That's cool. yeah so that was just unfortunately gets a little hot so sorry Tony sorry <laughs> Jack but it was um integral for the look <laughs> it Except it definitely seems to have helped the fidelity of that translation i mean yeah. it it does look like just that exact design brought directly to life and yeah. you're right it's it's almost like two and a half d not quite 3d yeah. but it just it works so yeah. well that could be a cool c- series actually just you know lower decks in oh, live action hope- that would be pretty cool yeah i hope i would watch a way it. to see them yeah yep. again yeah. like that yeah yep. yeah so everything being a, as collaborative as you're describing, uh, do you has there been anybody on set or in the cast who has made suggestions about their their costumes that really added to them that you that you took and implemented? I guess uh, it happens all the time. Just little things we'll pick up on. I, I would have to say, in terms of my team, Jen Bowen, who's the digital costumer. She came up with the department symbols as microprint for the, the the Starfleet uniform, and that is just like that. It's just such a golden idea. Like I, we were going to do little deltas, but she she had the idea and she just presented it to me. And I think that's the beauty of collaboration is like being open, making it a space where everyone feels like they're they're heard and that their ideas are um, yeah heard. And and like even if we don't bring those ideas on board. It's just like, I think people's best work comes from an open collaborative environment. And that comes from the top, Akiva and Henry. On, honestly, they help everyone feel like that. So I would say, yes, Jen Bowen was um, integral in that really cool feature. And yeah, hopefully other shows to come will do the same thing. And that's all because of her. And Karen Lee, my supervisor, she had the contact with Fluvarg and Fluvarg are the, the company that makes our Starfleet boots. And I love the Starfleet boots and I loved collaborating with them and they're so well made and, you know, it's a, a local company and they just add this cool dynamic flair to the silhouette of the Starfleet uniform. I think that it's my favorite part. I love it. And the fact that people can buy these boots and it's the real deal. Like these are the boots that the actors are wearing. It's not like a facsimile. It's not something that's made out of lower quality materials. So yeah, those two women are, you know, I'd love to thank those. And yeah, just like the collaboration with the actors as we go along, everyone's got ideas and we love to like incorporate them as much as possible. But sometimes the suggestion box does need to close and we need to just <laughs> make the damn thing and put it on camera. <laughs> Has anybody ever suggested a utility belt? Anybody? A there? utility belt? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you mean? Like, you know, TNG, they used to strap stuff to their sides oh, yeah. all the time. Yeah, and, yeah. there's kind of, there's kind of, I mean, 
Apelia's got that that little kind of oh, utility does, belt yeah. pocket. I mean, what's in there? We don't know. Like she's she's <laughs> a she's a sinister one. I think. I think there's a few Ooh. secrets in that little pouch. Um, perhaps. Some, well, she's got tools. I'm sure she's an engineer, but I don't know. She steals stuff. She's a thief. <laughs> Speaking of stealing things, a lot of actors that we have interviewed have been, they've been very clear that they can't take anything home from set. Like they don't bring their deltas home, that sort of a thing. But you're in a unique position where if there's something you want, you can just make one. Do you have any Trek-inspired pieces that you just wear around the house? Yeah, I wear the, my Klingon costume when I'm watering my plants. I just have to do that. <laughs> my Vulcan costume when I'm vacuuming. Um, no, I don't, I don't have any costumes, but I will say I do have a real Delta badge, which was given to me and I won't throw this person under the bus because perhaps they stole it and I don't want to know, but (laughs) I love it and I'm going to cherish it. But yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of fun to be in, in, you know, rooms full of costumes and, and that's the, that's the fun, like every now and then we'll put put something on and run around and and pretend we're you know Vulcans or something I love it (laughs) is it uh is it like you know a plumber who doesn't want to do anything around his house do you just get home and be like I'm putting on like flannel pajamas I don't want to see anything (laughs) fancy totally totally yeah no I think we're we're surrounded by it so much and so often um yeah you, you kind of like need need the simple life when you go home yeah I do love the idea of you watering your plants with honor, though. Right? Yeah. With honor. Seriously. <laughs> like, my plants are very important, as you can see. I'm surrounded by a rainforest in here. Uh, now, you mentioned Pelia, and before you mentioned loving the Princess Bride, uh, I mean, was it being a little starstruck seeing Carol? Oh, okay, has no. there been any actors you've dressed who you've kind of been starstruck by? Oh, I know. She really was, like, honestly, it is my favorite one of my favorite films of all time. And like, yeah, Carol Kane being on the show, it's just genius. Like that's the beauty of um, our showrunners. They think outside the box in terms of casting and they'll do these interesting, um, make these interesting choices and having Carol come on. She's just a force, right? She's so funny. She's got that little voice and like she loves jewelry and we're like, oh, you know what, Carol, um, Earrings are kind of um, a horror thing. I don't know if we should, you know, wear a legend. She's covered in jewelry. She's like, I think I, I think I wear it. And it's just like, okay. And it's like, well, I guess she stole it from when she was like, you know, I don't know, right. when she had her antique store or something. So she she loves to contribute that way, and and um, we love her. She's she's so fun. She's so funny and charismatic, and yeah, it's just really cool to work with her. She sure. spoke about the Princess Bride. She she said the the prosthetics were really uncomfortable. That was like one thing. I was like, oh yeah, I totally get it. But yeah, that was my favorite. And she loves to hear about it. She loves hearing that people still love oh. that show, that film. <laughs> if we ever get her on here, hundred oh, percent, yeah. we'll bring <laughs> <Yeah>. it up. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, so we're going to get into some more specific costume questions. But first, I want to ask, just as an industry, I mean, fashion is one of the most environmentally impactful industries. I think people are usually surprised to learn that it's like, yeah, it's oil and gas and then mining mm. and then fashion. Yeah. And, you know, they're right up there. Like, are there any changes you think 
they could be sacrifices, something like that you think need to be made to the fashion industry to help lessen that impact overall? Absolutely. It's, it's, um, we're, we, we're thinking about it all the time. We want to reduce as much waste as possible and even like reuse things like fabrics. We can add another texture to it and can look completely different. Background performers, costumes, we're always recycling those, um, especially shoes and, and, and accessories and painting things, making them look a little different. I, I hate the idea of like, wasting fabric so we're just trying to conserve as much there we love shopping locally um there's a a store called vsp here in toronto and it's consignment designer items and you know often they're the weird things that people can't wear and so but for our show Mm. it's perfect so we love buying things that are secondhand um but yeah we're, we're open we're open to trying to do as much as we can we often share materials with Discovery, which is filmed here in Toronto as well. So we we just don't want to over over buy and 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 waste uh, product. I want to see that budget on screen? Uh, yeah, actually, yeah. Uh, yeah. You want to see the budget on screen? What is what is your top budget item? What is your what is your number one line item for ordering materials each season? Oh, it would be the Starfleet uniform fabric. That's from Italy. Okay. Do you mean like oh, the uh, most expensive? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or just like, like, yeah, that's always the... Because we yeah. have to buy so much of it, it's it's so expensive. And um, I often have people reach out and it's like, where can I buy that fabric? It's like, yeah, if you want to spend $70,000 on 350 meters of it, sure. But like no one, no one, it's just too, it's only industry stuff. Like, hmm. but yeah, we have to buy our our department colors in 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 massive roles they come on big pallets and it's like getting a big forklift in and moving all this fabric around that would be the top and the boots like we we do go through the boots just because some episodes require them to be broken down and once they're broken down it's hard to get them shining up again for use on the spaceship so yeah that would be our top items i would say uh, let's hear from a couple more callers here. We're going to start with Zoe returning to the Open Pike Night stage. Open Pike Night. This is USS Cinema. Captain Zoe Richardson, commanding. Also host of Backflip Cinema, the podcast. I'd like to welcome Bernadette Croft to the show. And I actually have no questions. I have no notes. These are some great costumes. I love the somewhat contemporary design especially in the civilian costumes. I feel like the costumes have been designed in a way that doesn't necessarily alienate the audience. It doesn't like look so futuristic that it kind of wows you out or kind of takes you out of the story. And that's something I enjoy. Of all of the series, I think these, like from TOS all the way up to Strange New Worlds, I think these are like my favorite versions of the civilian costumes in the future the costumes on una's trial episode were absolutely fantastic so i can't wait to see what's coming up in season three four five six of strange new worlds thank you have a great day (sighs) richardson out oh my god your callers they're bringing tears to my eyes they're so (laughs) lovely that's so nice thank you thanks for the support (laughs) <laughs> and 
speaking of support, uh, our next caller, Abby, um, I'll play it here in just a moment, but first we got to shout her out. She absolutely provided a good chunk of the questions we're asking you today. Oh, Abby. She has been our diehard costume fan from the very beginning and is, I mean, I know she's going to be thrilled to listen to this episode and, and hear what she have to say. So here is Abby. Hey, hey, Open Pike and Bernadette. It's Abby Summer from the First Flight Podcast. First of all, Bernadette, you are a hero of mine. I absolutely adore your aesthetic, and all the costumes I've seen you produce have been nothing less than stellar. And the guys will tell you that I'm always the one calling in, noticing the costumes, talking about the costumes, freaking out about the costumes. Like, your work is astonishingly gorgeous, and I hope it continues for a very long time. And what I'd really like to hear you talk about a little bit is all of the off-duty clothes that we get to see on Strange New Worlds when they're hanging out in the bar, because there's some really fabulous ones in there. Plus, I really enjoy the bartender uniforms, and I think that they're going to stack up against the classic TNG bartender uniforms by the time all is said and done. So I'd like to know how much effort and what do you do and how do you put all those backgrounds in that only get seen for a few frames, but there are those of us out here noticing and appreciating them. So keep up the good work, all of you, and I hope yours and yours are well. We'll talk soon. Abby, thank you. And come work with us. Like we need, like, I really think on a costume team like Star Trek, you need someone who's like the ultra nerd, like someone who can go deep in the abyss of Star Trek and just know stuff. Because we 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 try, we try our best, and we we have people we talk to, obviously like JVC and um, Kirsten Bayer, and like people, yeah, Akiva and Henry. But like sometimes, like in terms of costume, you need like a nerd on your team. So maybe, <laughs> yeah, Abby should be my phone a friend. Um, thank you so much. <laughs> Those are wonderful things you said about the team, the the bartender's uniform, definitely. Kind of very sci-fi Judy Jetson vibes. We wanted the the uniforms to kind of like match Jonathan Lee's beautiful um, Port Galley set. It's so stunning. If ever you get to visit set Open Pike Night and Gentlemen, it would you've got to see this set. It's it's really lovely. So I just wanted something that yeah looked very sci-fi, pushed the boundaries a little bit there. And this is a space where people. They're just off work. They want to relax. They want to hang out with their friends. Maybe they're going on a date. Maybe they want to dress up. Maybe they just want to be in their uniform. Like it's a, just a, a really fun place to be and to relax and unwind and catch up with people. And in terms of the background, the background team, uh, Nathan Laws and Claire Levick are our BG coordinators and they are responsible for all of these looks and they pay so much close attention to each and every background performer because you never know when uh, an assistant director is going to pluck one of them and put them next to Ahura or Kirk or <laughs> Pike and just that's that's like that's the look you're going to look see a lot of that in in this on the screen so they they pay so much attention to it if a a background performer comes in and they're going to be in a port galley scene for instance and they're meant to be in a civilian look they could be looking at an, a two-hour fitting and Claire and Nathan will fit multiple looks on them. They'll photograph them. They'll send them to me and I get to pick the look. So it's just such a, I love these moments. I love seeing their creativity. I love how they always leave in something that's super wild 
And then sometimes I'll, I'll choose it. Like I'll choose the guy in red leggings and red shoes and green shorts, you know, like something a little <laughs> bit off because that's TOS. Like they always had like these wild costumes and yeah, you're um, one of your previous callers, like with the, um, the cutouts and the fur bikinis and like this weird stuff. So like every <laughs> now and then we'll just throw in something fun to honor the 1960s. But yeah, our, our team is so wonderful and they're so kind to our background performers. Like we want our BG team to come back season after season. And I think it really um, enhances the show when you see those familiar faces like on, you know, on the spaceship, in the pork alley, in, these, uh, in, in the um, sick bay, uh, on the bridge. Like we want to see the familiar faces because it, it just seems more real. So, yeah, Nathan and Claire, they do such a wonderful job. Love them. Awesome. Mm -hmm. I have a question about the civilian outfits uh, because, I mean, we do love when we get to see our main cast in their civilian clothes. And I feel like most of the information we, the audience, get about who these people are off-duty comes through their costume. Uh, Is that, I mean, do you get, like, pages of background on these characters we don't know about when you're designing the costumes? Or do you get to kind of decide who they are when you're designing their costumes? How does that process work? Do you mean, like, Ortegas and Chapel and, like, when we Mm, them? Exactly. 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 No, like, the the showrunners and the directors are just, like, that's between, uh, like, myself, the ACDs, obviously, because they're very integral to my work and, and the relationship between the, the actors. But it's honestly the actors and, yeah, and, and what we think that their vibe is. So for Ortega's, obviously, um, she loves a, like a jumpsuit. She's a bit utilitarian, just like a cool edge about her chapel. They're in a bit more of a sporty look, obviously, and we can push boundaries there and we haven't really seen Celia uh Uhura in in civilians yet just in a I believe just in a um a picture like a a background um Mm. like a yeah I think when Kirk had that photograph of her family and just obviously pajamas and stuff oh pajamas yeah (laughs) Yeah. yes and yeah the the staff lady should do rag that was a really cool moment Mm -hmm. (laughs) um but yeah, it's it's honestly about uh, how the actors feel, what they think their character, yeah, would wear, and and we just get a lot of options and and play around and and see what feels good. All right, we have one more caller. Our new caller this week is Lucy. Hi, Bernadette. Lucy here from the UK. Loving your costumes in Strange New Worlds. Um, particularly, really like the costumes in Children of the Comet in season one and among the Lotus Eaters in season two. Season two. Um, would love to hear more about them and what inspired you, particularly, I think, the Children of the Comet. Thanks so much. Have a great time. Cheers. Oh, thank you, Lucy. So Children of the Comet, oh, that was like the Deleb. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And then the space suits, right. The Deleb, it was interesting because in the script it was like an alien mother and her daughter walk along a, a desert landscape. It was a very, very small amount of detail in the script. And I love those moments sometimes because you can really add so much to the character and you can really delve in and, and make it your own. And in these collaborations, obviously the prosthetics team are working on an image and a face and the physicality of this alien. So uh, I, I obviously check in with them and see what they're doing and make sure the colors will work. 
that kind of thing. I look at the location, see where we're going to be filming. In this instance, it was a quarry, which was very sandy. But I made um, sure that the costumes looked like they lived in in that in that environment. So these aliens were nomadic. They kind of lived off the land. Perhaps their decorations were found. They were um, handmade and, you know, embellished in that way. It's just such a great time to like show, you know, social class or rank or family inheritance and like who are these characters and how, what can we do to show who they are? And so we did a lot of fabric manipulation, like bleach dyeing, ice dyeing. We covered things in silicon, made them look very organic. And they wore these like traveling hats, which were like pleated fabric covered in silicon, inspired by Iris Van Herpen, one of my favorite designers. So yeah, that was a really cool, a really cool alien. I really hope they come back. I just love doing the Deleb. <laughs> and the other one was Amongst the Lotus Eaters. Yeah, yeah world building. I, personal totally. favorite of mine, like, yeah. Such a great opportunity. It's interesting, like I, I often ask my mom, like she loves Star Trek, but she doesn't care about social media. She doesn't care about reviews. She just like wants to enjoy it. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, mom's <laughs> going to love this episode. But she's like, her favorite episode was tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. I'm like, okay, great. Thanks. When <laughs> <laughs> I was doing all my world building in episode four, she loves the contemporary. But, you know, each to their own, like she loves the romance mm-hmm. and character. Yeah, and, right. Yeah, yeah, and Chrissy's performance, my God, it was so epic. Oh, yeah. The way she oh. did that final scene, um, what she had to think about to even emote like that was like so amazing. Like our cast, honestly, they're incredible. Totally. But um, yeah, Amongst the Lotus Eaters was one of my favorites just because we could do this world building. And yeah, we've got Babs in his disguise and, and Anson and Chrissy. And the the guards' costumes were I think one of my favorite of the whole season, just because I could kind of look at ancient Mongolia and armor and kind of ground it in a detail and a heritage there. Because I think that, yeah, the references from the cage were quite um, crude and, and just like, ah, uh, they just weren't, they weren't um, appropriate. And so we just wanted to <laughs> kind of like honor, um, you know, a culture that, that's, you know, has so much beauty to it. And, these costumes, like every every member of the costume team had a part in these costumes, like the sculpting, mm. the um, 3D printing, the the helmets, like everything um, It w- really was a team effort. And I think the breakdown obviously is so important, like the mud caked on their boots, like making the, the tiles look like metal, making the edges of the fur a little bit crusty and you know, like they're in the elements or they're trudging through this snow all the time. Yeah, that was a really fun episode for me. And the team was a great one. Yeah, they're not the uh, the flashiest of costumes from the season, but no. like, there's something about the the lived inness, the, the realness yeah. that I do love about them. Yeah. Uh, so in the script makes note of something like the hat is supreme. Yeah. You read that and go, oh, I've got to make focus on the hat now. Oh, my God. We've had some few fancy hats, haven't we? This hat, yep, reigns supreme. I Again, I just kind of did my um, research and and looked at just like different shapes and something that, you know, would suit the the elements. And, yeah, Ortega's looked so great in that. Other hats that have been quite, 
memorable are uh, the fishing hat. Babs's oh, uh, yeah. fishing oh, hat. Yes, yes. <laughs> so that uh, <laughs> it was funny. Like you know when Fock had the silly hat when Amanda <laughs> came, just like, "What are you doing?" And we had the oh, little yeah. backwards Delta. <laughs> Blasphemy. I've heard that everyone's like very upset <laughs> that we did that backwards, but whoopsie, we just, it was a joke, guys. But um, Well, they're either upset or they love it because they, love they get where they get like the silly, joke. Yeah. yeah. But we thought, oh, should we use Ortega's hat? We could use that. We could use, we could use <laughs> oh. Mbanga's fishing hat. Um, but there's, yeah, just a lot of fun hats. So, like, yeah, they're, they're, in, they're in stock. We're ready for any other hat gag on the show. I mean, I don't know how much improvisation is on the show. I I understand there's at least some. Has there ever been a moment where a costume choice has has altered the script that someone's referenced it on on the fly? Do you know? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, well, we've done it um, ahead of time for T. Pring's gown for charades, for instance. It was scripted as a modest gown, and it, it was just like, oh my god, but T. Pring, she's so beautiful. <laughs> like, we can't. It's like, can we do the opposite? Can we say the same thing and just show that, oh, yeah, her mom's a little bit involved too much. She's overbearing. She's making T. Pring wear something that's a little bit elaborate, a little bit like just like you, this isn't your wedding, like relax. So we just kind of elevated the look to something, yeah, a little bit more regal and special. Yeah, thankfully the the writers were into it because I can't bear to put Gia in a, in a boring dress. Something modest. <laughs> Something modest. Yeah. Speaking of her mom, how how much fun was it to oh, costume the the most put upon father in Starfleet in Star Trek history? You guys, both of them. They're so funny. IRL. They're, they're both so funny. They just loved their costumes. They loved. <laughs> they loved just like yes, yeah, swanning around in them and just being completely different to themselves, like. Their deportment is very kind of like, you know, reserved and the way they stand, obviously there, but like in between takes, they're very like loosey goosey comedians. Like they're very <laughs> funny people. So yeah, I'd love to see another episode with, with them both. So great. So for a character like Nira in Ad Astra Prospera, did you look at past Starfleet legal officers for inspiration or did you have a pretty wide berth when it came to defining her style? Yeah. Oh, that was such a great episode too. I loved this episode. It was written by Dana Horgan and directed by Valerie Weiss. But yeah, I had a wide berth for sure. So when Pike visits Nira on her colony, you could tell by what the background um, were wearing that you know, it's a little bit of a retro futuristic look, a lot of monochromatic looks. Everyone mm. was like very kind of tailored, put together. I did introduce some futuristic um, accessories, that kind of thing. But essentially we wanted Nira to look really professional. She's very smart, very confident. And I wanted her to look just really feminine and powerful. Um, Yetidi felt the same and we were on the same page there for sure. I wanted to make sure we used beautiful colors that would look great on her, fabrics that really looked good. And for me, it was important to have like a visual relief from a very heavy uniform episode. So the uniforms, they're very formal, dignified. They've got that air of regality to them and they're only worn on very special occasions. So that means when you're in your formal dress uniform, you better be on your best behavior. It's mm. very serious. <laughs> And I wanted Nira's looks to have that kind of visual relief for people. 
and just be beautiful, really. And, you know, to show that this trial has been, it's been going on for several days because I think she had five costume changes. So it was just, yeah, one of those storytelling devices as well, having those changes. But um, yeah, Yitadi Badaki, I mean, what what a performance. It was so amazing. Yeah. Yeah. You and, and she are the two Emmys that we have really oh. been pushing for on the show. Like, <laughs> oh honestly. Oh, my God. Okay. Can I ask you a question? Okay. Absolutely. Speaking of Emmys, next awards season, if I was to submit an episode, because I am really, I really don't know what to do here, because I'm very close to the episodes, but sometimes people see them in a different way. And it's just like, I just don't know what to choose. But mm. if, if I was to give you three options, can you give me okay. your. Your pick. So episode one, The Broken Circle, directed by Chris Fisher, amazing guy, written by Akiva and Henry, our top brass. And that was like the Kajita Bazaar, our team were in disguises. It was the Klingons, there were the rebels, and then our new uniform, our reimagining of, of that um, uniform. Okay, option two, episode four, Amongst the Lotus Eaters, directed by Eduardo Sanchez, written by David Perez and Kirsten Bayer. World building. I mean, ancient Mongolian armor, the weather, uh, the breakdown, all of those details. Option number two. Option number three, charades, directed by Jordan Cannon, written by Henry Lonzo Myers and Catherine Lynn. The, the high couture Vulc- Vulcan tailoring, like all of that beauty, the, the, the fabric, it's just across the board. Everyone looks stunning. So what do you reckon out of those three options? Oh. Man, I was actually going to suggest number two. Yeah, I was, I was going to say at Astra. But of those, of three, those three, I think I might go Broken Circle because, as you mentioned, there's such a range yeah, there. There's oh. so much. I would, many I would go Broken things. Circle. Whoa. I would have to look and see what's won recently, though, too, because I know it comes like there's a mood that moves through award shows for you know, decade yeah. to decade. Yeah, so. it's very hard to predict. But like, this is so interesting. Okay, episode one. The three of you think? <laughs> we we have been talking about what it would take to launch a Emmy campaign <laughs> from our end and, and <laughs> really try and get people to get behind it. So we can um, certainly put a poll out for our listeners yeah. also. All right. Yeah, that's yeah. all right. Okay. With those that. three options. Yeah. Should, should we put episode two in as well? Or just I the three? So. I, there's too many options. There's too many. Yeah. So you can do four on Twitter. So yeah, we'll, we'll, I think all of us would choose episode two to throw in as the fourth option. So we're going to, this uh, is is the dark horse. This is a great problem to have Bernadette. Like (laughs) when we can't figure out like, cause, cause every episode has such amazing costume work, right? Like this is a good problem to have. Yeah. It's a pretty fun problem. It's just a bit stressful, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, ask our listeners. Okay. I think out of the three that you gave us, I would say episode one just for the range okay. and and yeah, the the appearance of the Klingons, you know, contrasted with everything else that's in that episode, it really is very impressive. Yeah. Can we just edit an episode that has all the costumes from the whole season into right. one forty five <laughs> minute? I mean, the story won't make sense, but the A costume show. will be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> that's a great idea, Cameron. Oh, absolutely. And speaking of. Uh, Klingons, you got to costume uh, one very special Klingon, but then you got to costume that same performer again um, and work with Bruce Horak twice in different ways in this in this season. How, oh, what how a much fun was zombie was doing some zombie makeup? It was so great. It was I mean, that's another thing that needs to come back in season three is Bruce in some way. 
even if it's his voice or like whatever, whatever, like he needs to come back as another character. I think that needs to be our thing. But um, yeah, it was really great to see Bruce again um, and him as a zombie, like what the heck. It was funny because right before we were going to shoot, I think it was like the day before, I was like, what about space maggots? Like a space maggots a thing? Should we put space maggots on Bruce? And then our key sculptor, Alex, was like, all right, I'll just sculpt some space maggots. You don't really see them, but we know that they're there. And then, nah. um, yes, when we see um, Bruce again as a Klingon, he's in the armor. And one stupid thing we did for a gift to ourselves and the crew at the end of season two, we made socks for everyone and they were space mm. maggots wearing Klingon armor. And it was just our like, <laughs> ode to Bruce. It was like, what are we, like, what the heck? What an interesting combination of like just characters there and like just ideas. So, yeah, that was our, our, um, our ode to Bruce. And, and we, we'll send and him a pair. pair we'll definitely send him a pair. Very, Very cool. cool. <laughs> What's it like with, with costuming a stunt double? Yeah, we have to, again, um, we talk with Neil, our stunt coordinator, and make sure we understand what's going to happen in the scene. And for our stunt performers, they often have to wear stunt pads or an armadillo, which is something that protects your spine. Um, They wear gel pads on their hips, on their knees, so on their elbows. So we have to make sure the costume can allow for that. So that's like making the pants a little stretchy, making sure they've got movement in their and they're back and there's enough room to put all these pads and stuff. So, yeah, it just means multiple. So it's like our team has to just do like, you know, quadruple the work because if there's a fight, something might happen. So we have to have extra costumes, you know, ready in case something happens on set or, you know, if there's a fight and there's blood, something gets covered in blood, we have to make sure there's multiples. And uh, that happening tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, like we had to make sure every option that we that we brought had multiples ready because there's nothing nothing worse than being on set and the director wants to go again but you can't because there's no more <laughs> costumes left so we have to always make sure that um they have everything they need but yeah costuming stunts is always really fun love it very cool so we've heard that you have like sort of a flow chart of the history oh, of yes. Starfleet uniform design. And because of that, I have to ask, have you sketched out what a Strange New World's next generation uniform might look like? Oh, they're pretty cool. I don't know if you can really get much better. I've heard that they were a little uncomfortable. So maybe we'd, yeah. we'd focus on how that fit, like how it feels on the body. But um, maybe just updating the fabric, adding some microprint. It's a cool, pretty cool design. I dig it. <laughs> the the poster was very specifically brought up by one of our other guests that you have you have made this timeline. How much how much time have you put into oh, that was, drawing that, out that timeline? That wasn't me. That was Jen Bowen, our digital customer. Oh, okay. So she, again, she's just incredible, and she is a deep, deep fan, and her dad is. And so she made sure she would, like, she just picked very iconic costumes from each season. And it, it's just so great. Everyone has this flowchart in their offices because it's just such a great reference point because there's so much going on in Star Trek. There's so much to remember. There's so many dates and things that, you know, it's just like so 
so much to keep a track of. So this is such a great tool. Um, but Jen Bowen, yeah, she, she knocked it out of the park. She's incredible. It's just such a wonderful show. It really sucks that the actors and the writers can't post about the show. Like, um, mm-hmm. because there is so much beauty there and it's so interesting to people, like all the behind the scenes. And we love to, um, see the actors doing their thing. And, uh, so yeah, it's, it's a shame that they've missed out on that joy, especially when really big episodes like the crossover, like the musical, like stuff where like we, they could have been doing so many really cool interviews and like, reaching out to people and, and talking about it and generating a lot of excitement. It's, it's a shame. Yeah. Well, we'll be reaching out to all of those people the moment they that's become so legally good. available. Yeah, so on. that's what we're here yeah, for. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we'll get them on. We'll get Asking them back them on. For us. Yeah. yeah, that would be great. Well, you had mentioned the history of Star Trek. Uh, once you dove in, do you have a favorite series, not counting the ones you've worked on? Oh, I mean, there's a special place in my heart for TOS. Um, it's, yeah, it's where it all began. I love seeing how wild some of those costumes were. Like <laughs> William Ware Tice, <laughs> whoa, buddy, you really went for it. And like he obviously was doing things to be um, shocking and exciting and, and make people kind of talk, talk about the show and it did generate a lot of, um, I would say, viewers. Um, but yeah, TOS mm-hmm. is definitely um, so important for us because that's why we're here on this show and, you know, tapping into that nostalgia, being inspired by what was made before us and hopefully honoring their work. Hopefully, you know, they're proud seeing, seeing some of their characters come to life again or, yeah, the designs, some of the sets. Like, it's all really cool. What about characters? Do you have a favorite character from the history of Trek? Um, the history of Trek. I was just, I actually saw an episode of TOS the other day um, with Dr. Miranda Jones and the telepath from Is There In Truth No Beauty? And I just loved oh, that episode. It was so cool. I loved her outfit. And that visor. The, the visor the re- with the red kind of like, yeah, that was really cool. Uh, Spock was very smiley. Like that was really interesting to see him being kind of like happy as as the admiral there. Was he an admiral? He was like something. But anyway, it was a really great episode. We saw Scotty in his kilt. Mm-hmm. Spock was <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> um, wearing an IDIC pendant. And we've used that pendant on our show before. So it's really cool to see that. Oh, there's just so many characters. There, It's so... Amazing. That's a good answer. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, well, we've got a little segment we'd like to try. Yeah, we'll just jump in. Uh, so I'm just going to read the names of season two episodes, and you just tell me the first thing that pops in your mind, maybe oh. the first costume that pops in your mind, or, <laughs> you know, or a little word association. So the broken circle. Leather. At <laughs> Astra Perespera. Yetidi. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. My mom. <laughs> she just loved it so much. Among the Lotus Eaters. Mongolian um, ancient armor. Charades. Fashion. Lost in translation. Leather jacket. Those old scientists. Joy. Here's one we didn't talk too much about. Under the Cloak of War. So much work. My God. <laughs> so much work. Like so many... Oh my God, that was like 
I would say the most labor-intensive episode. Oh, yeah. Wow. Interestingly, I I like, yes, that one. the tactical uniform is very, like, labor-intensive to do all of that armor and the jumpsuits. And, yeah, there's a lot of background. So it was just, like, yeah, a lot. Oh. Sure. Uh, how about Subspace Rhapsody? Oh. Do you know what? My mom, again, like, when, when that episode <laughs> aired, she, I was on FaceTime with her and just, like, she was bamboozled with joy. Like she just could not believe that we did it because she doesn't like, she doesn't know, she doesn't like keep it abreast of like social media and she just didn't know it was coming. So when Spock Mm. started singing, she just thought it was the most amazing thing. So I just, I just (laughs) like, honestly, it reminds me of how much joy my mom was exuding. Like she, like she thought, what the I can't believe you did that. The audacity. She just loved it so much. So yeah, seeing people's reactions like that is really cool. That is awesome. I, I mean, you know, Paramount advertised that was going to be the musical. And a lot of Trekkies had kind of picked up yes. on things and knew it was oh, coming it was on like, that episode. Yeah, yeah not But I just talked to someone else who had watched it and didn't know it was coming. Yeah. And like, that must have been such an amazing moment really? if you had like, no idea sh- what it was about. Yeah, real shock. Like, and then it just kind of went through. And they're all so good in their own way. Oh, my God. And then, you know, especially Celia and, and Chrissy and Rebecca, Seriously. like they're really wonderful, wonderful um, song people. Oh, yeah. And then finally, Hegemony. The final the finale. The, the finale. Okay. Just goo. <laughs> we had to like, we had to research Dawn goo, like what it looks like. How did it dry on costumes? The the color of it, the translucency, like goo. We just had to do a lot of goo. That's goo. You absolutely understood the assignment of that segment. Thank <laughs> yeah, you. very, very good. Thank you. It's this new segment we're trying out. So yeah. I think it's a segment we're going to continue doing because that was super fun. It's really fun, so. but feel free not to do all of them because some of them are stupid, but whatever. Like- uh, it's, I mean, <laughs> we. So is there anything that you haven't gotten a chance to talk about for working on strange new worlds that you just would love people to know? No, I would just like to emphasize how amazing the team is. Honestly, like without their talent, I wouldn't be able to dream up these ambitious costumes and they really do make everything so amazing. So I would shout out my costume team for sure. Hopefully they all all come back. Yeah, hopefully. Well, I have one final, not a listener question again, but my daughter has come on. She's had questions for some of our planetary scientists because she's really into space, but she also loves to make clothes for her dolls. And I have to say, I am amazed at what the six-year-old puts together with masking tape and just scraps of fabric she finds around and cuts up the other doll clothes. But that's another story. Mm. I asked her if she had a question, and this is what she gave me. She wants to know from a professional costumer how she can make a good flowing skirt. She wants a nice flowy material to make skirts for her Barbies. Like what's a good around the house material you would suggest for that? Oh, good question. I would, I would go around the house and feel it and like feel the different textures around. Maybe it's a curtain. Maybe it's got a good drape. Bernadette. Just get those scissors and start. (laughs) She has Bernadette. (laughs) Those sheets. I'm going to get t- into the closet. <laughs> see what clothes there are. Be inventive. I, I asked for it. All right, that's fair. <laughs> I, I brought it upon myself. 
I will play this I'm for her. I'm glad that she's creating though. That's wonderful. It's it's pretty it's pretty impressive. It's good stuff. Yeah. So super nerdy question here your sewers do they bring their own machines or do you guys have a fleet of machines and if so what's your what's your favorite what do you guys use we we've got industrial machines and we have a fleet of machines there are a lot we've actually got two sewing rooms because there's there's so many sewers we have four cutters and they each have two or three sewers that are um, that work closely with those cutters and every cutter has a different background themselves so Sue Fulong, who I mentioned earlier, she's very, um, she comes from like a tailoring background. So she's very focused on the Starfleet uniform. And anytime we do the dress uniform, you know, we've got Stephen Wong, who's comes from fashion and he does a lot of draping and he does a lot of T-Pring stuff in the Vulcans and, and all of that kind of like more high fashion costumes. So yeah, I would say, yeah, it's just industrial. Like we we make a lot. Um, in-house so we have to yeah make sure our team has you know the best quality and the best tools that we that we can afford yeah Yeah. get those five thousand stitch per minute going yeah uh, exactly crank them out yeah we've we've got a really big heat press we've got a couple of heat presses um we've got a 3d printer now and just like yeah as the seasons go on we just hope to like build on on what we have so we can keep doing things faster, more effective, or um, you just, you know, more interesting outcomes. We just love pushing the boundaries and, you know, outdoing the previous episode before. I've got to say, so far, you guys have accomplished that. Like, <laughs> as a huge fan yeah. of Star Trek, there's never been an episode of Strange New Worlds where I'm like, oh, the costumes really let him down this time. Like, <laughs> it's or one of them. were just okay. Only. Yeah, like, it's been one of consistently the most mind-blowingly well-done pieces of the show. Oh, thank so you, thank you so much. And to yeah. your team as well. Yes. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Thank they, you. Yeah, everybody's doing an amazing job. Oh, that's so nice. Thank you. So, Bernadette Croft. Open Pike Night is an open mic night themed podcast. (laughs) Do you have a joke for us today? I don't like this section of your. (laughs) But I. This is your fault. So I might get in trouble about this. Anyway. Knock, knock. Who's Who's there? there? Who's there? Yoda Lady. (laughs) Yoda Yoda Lady. lady. I stop yodeling. It's so annoying. Just shut up. I love that. Ah, that takes me back to second grade. (laughs) (laughs) Last time I got caught into that trap. Yep. You also understood that assignment. So thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Is there anything you'd like to plug? My Instagram handle is Berncroft, B-E-R-N-C-R-O-F-T on Instagram. One of my favorite follows on Instagram, honestly. Like, just again, just like the show, it's just replete with nothing but gold. Oh, thanks so much. (laughs) Thank you so much. Yes. This has been a fantastic discussion. Thank you <laughs> for having yeah. me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for your interest, your support. Thanks to all the listeners. They're so sweet. They're awesome people. Thank you. Anytime. They make yeah. our show. Oh, we'll, get, we'll be back in touch. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Thanks once again to Bernadette Croft for joining us on Open Pike Night. And a special thank you to caller and listener Abby for helping Mm -hmm. us organize so many good fashion questions. We really appreciate that support. Uh, Cam, Hmm. how can people get hurt on the Open Pike Night stage? 
Oh man, they can do that. Wow. Curveball here. <laughs> well, so many ways. You can record your own voice message however you like and send it to openpike at gmail.com. Or if you just want ease of use, head on over to openpike.com and click the join us button up at top. You can record your own voicemail and it'll send it straight to us right there. Excellent. And Jesse, where can folks find us online? You can find us on basically any social media that you can think of at OpenPike. And I do just want to echo john's thanks to abby make sure you check out the first flight podcast even if you're not an enterprise fan because i am not and i still enjoy listening to that show but yes we are on facebook instagram twitter tiktok i mean youtube we are everywhere that's true <laughs> at open pike are you okay jesse he's chasing a bug oh. there's a gnat <laughs> yeah i'm i'm not i'm not losing it there's a gnat in my house you don't have to go get all bendy. Come on, man. <laughs> he just dropped some acid before <laughs> in the middle of this interview. Cam, when you're not on the open pike night stage, where can folks find you? Uh, yeah, you can find me over at greenshirt 87 on Twitter, where uh, the, the, the Twitter account for green shirt and newbie strike the next generation, my TNG podcast where John and I and a couple others are watching TNG uh ds9 also there uh you can hear and i'm going to throw out some love to abby summers here as well she's been a guest on that and even if you're not a huge enterprise fan they did drop a strange new worlds bonus episode so we know you all like strange new worlds go check it out and who's not an enterprise fan come on guys exactly hi <laughs> no, okay <laughs> well fine jesse when you're hating enterprise and not on the open pike night stage where can folks find you you can just stay in this podcasting app and look up sudden but inevitable which is the show where i introduce friends to single season television shows that i feel were canceled before their time such as firefly cowboy bebop we also have seen movies together that they should have experienced but hadn't. We found somebody that had never seen Donnie Darko, so we took him through that. I checked out Logan's Run for the first time ever with uh, recent guest Marcy. That was a lot of fun. So just stay here and look up Sudden But Inevitable. It's been a long night, and the Open Pike Night crew has to go really up our wardrobe game, guys. I mean, <laughs> I, when's true. the last time any of you 3D printed clothing? Because I haven't in quite a while. <sighs> In, like, yeah, I April. In, I think in ever. Um, yeah, but well, I, I maybe, do maybe have a pair of never. Vulcan ears that I gotta find. I don't remember where I put them, but I do have them, and they do fit. Ah, Cam, do you have a pair of Vulcan ears? I don't, but my friend made me this little three D printed uh, idol from Raiders of the Lost Ark, and if I put it on my head, Ooh. I'm wearing it, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm wearing it. Yeah, that's, that's clothing. Yeah. That <laughs> I, too, have a pair of Vulcan ears, and I think I know where they are. So, <laughs> that makes two out of three of us who are actually true Trekkies. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to clean up after yourselves. Be sure to tip your servers. You can go anywhere you want, but you can't stay here. My daughter has some elf ears I can go find. Find.